If you could come up now. Uh, and someone want to, okay, I thought maybe Matt wasn't coming. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's stand right out here so they can all see us in the. Okay, well, one of the things that I found is that you, you listen to people, what they have to say a lot better if you know a little bit about them. So I want to start by asking them needs to share something about themselves, uh, how long they've been in Ridgecrest, uh, how long they've been a member of this church, and maybe something else about what they're doing uh, as part of the church. So I'll start with Eunice. Okay, I'm Eunice Gilliland, and uh, we came in... 19, I came in 1972, and in 1978, we came to the church. And we came to the church because we wanted our daughter in a Christian school, and the Christian school was associated with Emmanuel. And then I ended up teaching there for a lot of years. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, I, I was um, preschool director, Adele Crow. oh my goodness, I had her, I had her job, and I. Anyway, <laughs> that was that was uh, something. And then, in uh, 2003, I was in a Bible study of um, uh, Blackaby, John Blackaby, and uh, out of that Bible study came um, our first small group. Ten questions, Matt. Oh, man. I came here in 1982. Uh, I started at Emmanuel in 1996. Uh, what was the other question? Life question? Something about you. Yeah, something about me. Uh, yeah, I'm with uh, with the missions group, and we go to Togo. Okay, thank you. You guys are short. Oh, my gosh. I'm Kay Lloyd. I'm going to talk longer because I'm... <laughs> Um, came here in 1973 right from college with a two-month-old baby. Forrest and I came for his first job, and we love our town. We're still here. Um, taught fourth, fifth, and sixth grade with Ron Ryan. I don't know if he's here today. We built the mission out of sugar, I mean the tabernacle out of sugar cubes. That was fun. Um, also been involved with women's ministry uh, with Susan Harris on Wednesday night. So love our church. Okay. Okay, next question. I'll start this oh, in. No. Okay. <laughs> Um, next question is, how long have you been in a life group, and what caused you to join? Um, Thirteen years. We've been with John and Eunice and also Steve and Barbara. What caused Forrest and I to join is that we wanted to get to know people in a small venue. It's kind of hard in a big church like this, so small groups, you um, depend on each other, love each other, pray for each other, and it's a fabulous thing. I've been in a small group for about a year now, and the uh, reason to go was to learn a lot more about the Bible and, uh, again, getting with the life, the group, get to know the people. Okay, well, we started the the group out of the Bible study just because we wanted to be together, and then pretty soon there were life groups all over the place. And uh, um, it's just, it's, it's community, it's... Uh, I've never felt my house used more than in the life groups. It seems like that that's what our house was built for, was to, to bring a group of people, a small group of people together. And we have fellowship around God's word. So we stay, we stay in the word and lift up Jesus. Okay, well, let me go on with you. Um, what do you like best about life groups? Oh boy, I think I just told it. <laughs> Pick one. 
the book? Yeah. Well, I, I, like I say, using our home is just, um, it just seems that that's what we built the house for. Okay. And it's like they did, they met in small groups back in the Bible days in the beginning, and, and we're just doing it again, and it seems to be exactly what God would have us do. Okay. Okay, Matt, I'm going to ask you, but besides food, what do you like best about life groups? <laughs> It's kind of hard to narrow it down to one thing. I'd have to say the people, um, the study itself, uh, and the dessert's awful good, too. <laughs> Being around people. Okay. Okay. Um, I would say, like Matt, it, there's threefold. Um, we used to have dinner at Eunice's and John's house because a lot of us worked, and so we'd go there at 5.30 and have she'd have dinner for us, which was fabulous. So we like food like that, but also the camaraderie of the people. You knew they were praying for you all week. If you had any troubles, you could just bare your soul. It was confidential. I'm going to cry now. Um, Eunice did a wonderful job with her home and still does. And if you're not in a life group, you need to because it is such a blessing. You get blessed and you bless others. Okay. Well, let's thank them for sharing with you this morning. And. Let me second that invitation that Kay gave you. If you're not in a life group, um, you don't know what you're missing. There's a the camaraderie that you're going to hear about the rest of this morning that uh, you just can't get in any other way. Um, you, you know, the pastor likes to say you don't get f- real communication and fellowship in lines. It takes circles to get real fellowship and trust being built. So that's that's your invitation to, if you're not in a life group, um, come to the, the Connection Center and um, talk to either Barbara or to uh, Karen, and um, they'll get you hooked up with somebody, okay? Okay, now Karen's going to come, and she's going to tell us some things about the health aspects of being in a life group. You're not the only one with secrets, because Bill's gone this morning, and he asked me to talk for a few minutes about life groups, but this is my one chance, and I'm going to clear off a place and do a sermon. Sorry, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. So you don't tell, I won't tell. Okay. Okay, I'm going to do some slides. I've never used this clicker before, but we're going to give it a try. And John's back there is my backup. So one way or another, we'll get it done. And uh, I suppose none of you are surprised that I was asked to talk about life groups because life groups is what I live and breathe and, and love to do. And I love it when I see someone get into a group and really enjoy it and, and begin to feel like they're truly cemented into our church. And uh, this morning, we want to talk about the importance of friendships, not just being in a group, but building friendships and how important that is. And uh, Pastor Andy Stanley, son of Charles Stanley, wrote a book about 10 years ago entitled Creating Community. And he talked about our need for relationships with other people and our desire to love and be loved and the importance of friendship. And in his opening paragraphs, Andy Stanley tells about finding a card promoting employment with purpose at a popular beverage company. And uh, it said, create community. Whoops. Oh, we're not on the right one. <laughs> try that. Okay, let's try again. No? Hmm. Jim, can you help John with that? Do you know if you could? 
Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it said. Uh, create community makes a difference in someone's day. Okay, okay, great. Thank you. It's Thank you, John. And it said, create community, make a difference in someone's day. I want to pause to say thank you to John again because this is the first time John's done anything with this, and I appreciate him being willing to stick with it. All right, create community and make a difference in someone's day. And then he turned the card over, and the other side of the card said, when you work at Starbucks... When you work at Starbucks, you can make a difference in someone's day by creating an environment where neighbors and friends can get together and reconnect while enjoying a great coffee experience. That's an interesting purpose for a company whose primary reason for existing is beans. But Starbucks actually uses coffee to promote connection. And even though that is not Starbucks' only purpose, the company knows we are a culture needing relationships. And they strive to commit to create community around their product, coffee. Do I do? Okay, go to the next slide. There we go. All right. Obviously, there must be benefits to getting folks together if a major company incorporates that into their purpose and their vision. But let's not rely on just a secular company as proof that being socially connected is beneficial. Let's consider another source, scripture. Scripture. This morning, I've been asked to impart wisdom about why belonging to a life group is good for us. Next slide. But I can't imagine giving advice without basing it on Scripture and the ultimate source of wisdom. So here are a couple of reasons from Scripture for us to be in a life group, and they're found in Proverbs, our book of Scripture and wisdom. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine. And you know one of the things I think that I enjoy most about a, a life group is the spontaneous, unexpected laughter that happens. That You know, you're in a deep study and maybe you're tired from the day and somebody says something just sets everybody off and it's just a wonderful feeling to uh, enjoy laughter together it's such great medicine and proverbs 27 9 the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice there's just nothing like being able to talk over life with someone else that you enjoy and have them pray with you and enjoy it. And that's one of the main uh, topics in a life group is life itself and what's going on in your life and in someone else's. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, in chapter 7, that earthly parents give to their parents what is beneficial to them when they have a need or request. And how much more our Heavenly Father gives to us what is beneficial. God has a plan to give us many good things. But some of the good things we receive from God come from simply doing what he asks us to do, which is love one another. That love one another request or command, however you want to say it, it comes in the New Testament 19 times. And that that doesn't count the other descriptions about love. And it, this it's not just a phrase, it's poked in somewhere in scripture and goes on with another topic. Nineteen times the topic of love is discussed in the New Testament and it must be important to God for us to love one another, for him to put that in there so often. And But how do we do that by ourselves? How do we love one another alone? We can't. And so that's what the important is of being together, of spending time in a life group. There are some very real benefits from being in relationships with others. 
Being with one another in a life group means you aren't doing life alone. For example, the friend who brings the chicken soup, it's not necessarily the chicken soup that makes you feel better. It's the bringing of the chicken soup that makes you feel better, that that person that brings it. And having meaningful conversations friends talking, uh, being interested in others, being around others who have active, productive lives gives our life a purpose. And this we all know. Sharing with friends multiplies the joys and divides the sorrows. And then another great benefit is we enjoy better physical health, actual better physical and mental health. It has been proven that being in uh, relationships and friendships uh, lowers blood pressure and lowers heart rate. And uh, statistics show that marriage can add several years to your life. Now, if you're in a happily married situation, that's good. If you're not, well... I don't know about that extended life, <laughs> but it has been proven that actually being in a marriage can uh, give you several more years of life expectancy. But on the serious side, even suicide, mental uh, illness, and alcoholism rates are lower when a person has a sense of belonging. And the benefits of regular social connections are, have been found in even other studies. For example... In one study, medical students who were assigned to work in pairs had lower stress levels than those who worked alone. And that's why doing project and being the, be the church are good for you to do it with your group. And uh, also people who take part in social activities live an average of two and a half years longer than people who spend most of their time alone. And the physical health benefits, and you ladies will love this one, the physical health benefits of socializing can be equal to physical exercise. Even though, this, even though the social activities have very little physical action, it is the feeling worthwhile that leads to a longer life. Of course, good health and eating count, but it is the social interaction that is responsible for a longer life. And people have fewer colds. <laughs> Surprisingly, it has been proven. Does that look like anybody's husband? <laughs> it has been proven that people with few or no social contacts were four times more likely to come down with cold symptoms than those with lots of social contacts. I thought that was interesting. That uh, coming to church is not going to is going to be four le- times less likely to cause you to have a cold. And then spending time with friends can decrease depression. And improves our mood. We know that. There's nothing like a friend, especially if you've got something you want to tell someone and they're listening. Isn't that going to make you feel better already? And there's growing evidence that socializing is good for our brain health, causing us to perform better on tests of memory and other mental skills. And this last Wednesday would be a good example of that for me. It was a busy, fast-moving day, and, and I was, was trying to get my lesson finished up for the Bible study uh, that night, and I ran home for about half an hour, and I ran back, and I parked the car, and I jumped out, and Jim Witham had just arrived at that time to meet with the elders, and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I live here. <laughs> and, and he said, no, you don't, and why are you here? And I said, I came for Bible study, and he said, there isn't one tonight. And <laughs> so the, go ahead, John. Next slide. So uh, uh, I just want you to know that sometimes even though you think you're doing the right thing and being with friends, sometimes you have to just blame your memory for that. But, you know, they have uh, 
uh, Prevagen now, and I take it when I can remember to take it. <laughs> but rem- remember, spending time with others helps to activate the happiness centers in your brain. And in Proverbs 17:22 that we talked about a minute ago, God knows what we need, and laughter is such a high emotional payoff causing you to feel more energetic and happier and it also gives a boost to your metabolism so join a group lose weight (laughs) well we've had some fun with this and truly life groups are fun but also a life group is a safe haven where the one another's of scripture can be lived out a place where one can reap the benefits of being with others enjoying their company, sharing their life and uh, your life. To describe a life group experience in a few adjectives, I can say this, that it's satisfying, it's comforting, it's encouraging, it's joyful, and it's fulfilling, just to name a few. But most of all, we're helping each other do what our loving Heavenly Father asks of us, to love one another. So as a church, we're providing a place for you to do what God is asking each of us to do. And that's my perspective on small groups based on scientific facts and my own personal experiences. But there is another perspective far better than mine or any study by scientists, and that's God's perspective. And Scripture has much to say about small groups. So one of our elders, Jim Witham, will speak to us now from God's Word about the scriptural basis for life groups in our church and the importance of friendships. Jim. Oh, thank you. Well, I think that one's yours. Okay. Good morning. All right, I am on. Good to see you all here this morning. It is definitely different to be up here than down there. And uh, I am so thankful for this opportunity that the church has given me to speak to you all about something that's passionate about in my heart, and that's life groups. And just the love that God has poured into my life. Um, I have been here since... Uh, 1996, so I've been a member almost 20 years now, or 21 years, and uh, the Lord has poured it so much into my life through you all. You all have poured into my life uh, ever since we came. I was invited by a member. Uh, I heard the gospel for the first time when I came to Emmanuel Baptist Church, and I repented of my sin and put my faith in Christ and began to grow and I had other believers here kind of come alongside me wrap their arms around on me uh, invite me to Sunday school I didn't even know what Sunday school was about uh, and uh, through those times and uh, through all of your love I have grown in the Lord and I'm thankful for that and he has become a very special part in my life and uh, because of you uh, I have um, I'm up here today, really, that uh, I get to preach, and that is an awesome opportunity, and I have entered that prayerfully and uh, carefully. Uh, I am, as my small group knows, kind of a goof sometimes, so I've tried to keep the, uh, the jokes to a minimum, and I want to be serious about God's Word, because God is serious about His Word. So, um, community, we've talked about it a little bit already. Oneness is another word that God uses for his desire for each of us. Unity among the body of believers is another one. Uh, I'm going to save you guys from PowerPoint ministry this morning or misery this morning, and uh, I'm just going to speak to you from God's word. So I hope that you will take a minute to uh, follow along with me. 
And uh, we will get through this together. Because God has something to say to each of us this morning. He wants us to know Him, to love Him, to follow Him, and to come alongside other believers as well. He adopted us into His family when we became a believer. And uh, I've heard some different things about families that you don't really get to choose those that you're related to. And the same thing is true for the family of God. We all get one another as a gift from the Lord. And I praise Him for that. We're all different, but that's a good thing. Okay, so I wanted to start out by talking about the Trinity. God Himself dwells in perfect oneness with Himself. He has forever been in perfect relationship with himself. There is no arguing amongst the Godhead. There is no time in the Bible where you say an argument broke out in heaven between the Father and the Son. It just doesn't happen. They are in uh, have one mind with one another. They are perfectly uh, divine themselves. And there's harmony there. And that is really our model for why we were created and put into his family and community that we can live as well loving one another so I would like to just share a couple of quick verses with you if you guys are fast you can keep up I do not have these up on PowerPoint but it's amazing how among the Trinity themselves the Father, Son and Holy Spirit that there isn't an adversity but there's actually kind of a a humility between them and they lift one another up Luke 9.35 says and a voice came from heaven I came out of the cloud saying this is my son my chosen one listen to him so God tells us to listen to Christ John 3.35 says the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand so what a great gift God has given to his son Jesus all things the son lifts up the father in John 14:10 the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does his work jesus praising the father the son lifts up the spirit in John 16 verses 12 and 13 i this is jesus speaking still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come so that's how the son lifts up the spirit and finally the spirit lifts up the son in john 16 verse 14 he the spirit will glorify me that's jesus for he will take what is mine and declare it to you So I'm sorry for all you note-takers out there. I'm a note-taker as well, and uh, those were kind of quick. Let's slow down for a minute and kind of look at how um, God's desire is for us through the shared life and community and oneness that he himself enjoys with himself. So God doesn't, uh, as a gracious Heavenly Father and the Son and the Spirit, don't tell us to do something that he himself is not already doing. Our parents know this, right? This is a uh, don't do what I say, but do or do what I say, not what I do. Uh, we want to be like God, and he wants us to be like him. 
So he lives in perfect community with himself. There's no arguing. There's no debating. There's actually no one trying to wrestle and get the glory or the authority or the power. They all have perfect power, perfect authority. And they all enjoy oneness. They've been together forever, and uh, they will be together forever. And uh, as his children, uh, you may look at the person next to you and not like them as much, but if they are a believer, you're going to get to like them because you're going to spend eternity with them forever. So if you'd like to, let's kind of park in God's Word for a little while in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. So John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. You guys do not, you should bring your Bibles to church. I don't see, oh, we see the phones going out. <laughs> All right. I'm one who loves paper Bibles still. I must be an old timer or something. So, John chapter 20, verses 20 through 23. This, the context for this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He is praying for us. For those that are with him right then, as well as those who will believe through him. I'm having mic problems already. Hopefully the venue can hear me okay. Okay. Jesus speaks to his believers. And he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That is all of us that weren't alive at the time of Christ and who have heard because of the apostles' teaching and because of how it's been handed down from generation to generation that we have heard through others. So, believe through the word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. So there's a relationship going on here between the Father, the Son, and us. Jesus says, I'm going to have problems with this, I'm sorry. Jesus says that uh, as the Father and the Son are one, that he wants his people to be in him, in them, so that, and this is an important so that, the world may know may believe that you have sent Jesus, sent me, he says. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. So our relationship, Our oneness is first with Christ, that we have come to a relationship with God through him, through his sacrifice for us on the cross. Hallelujah. And uh, we are not only in relationship to our Heavenly Father through Christ, but we have been brought to a relationship with one another as each of us individually has a Heavenly Father and has a Savior through Christ that we are now brothers and sisters in Christ together. Is that a good thing? I think that's a good thing. Okay. One with him and with each other. And there's a twofold reason for that. Did you guys pick that up? There was two in there. So that we would know, or that the world would know, that Jesus sent was sent by the Father. And the second reason 
And God the Father has the same love for his children as he does for his son. That is a wow in the Christian community. That God could love us the same way that he loves Christ. And, you know, we see all through the scripture their unity, their loving kindness to one another, their uh, community. And that's how God wants us to be with him. He wants a close and personal relationship with him. So, how do we attain this community and oneness practically? I wanted to be practical with you guys. I didn't want to stand up here and just spout off scripture. Uh, the Spirit is really the one that applies God's truth to our hearts. So I try to share with my life group that, um, you know, there's no power in the leader. There's power in God's Word because it's transformative. Because He takes the truth of His Word and He presses it down onto our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And then He activates it there. It becomes truth in our lives. We believe it and we start to live it out. You know, God's word isn't a collection of uh, red text and black text, but uh, it's a collection of thoughts and love from our Heavenly Father written down that is truth for us. As a Christian, we don't follow uh, untruth. We follow the truth, and that is Christ, that he existed, that he is God's son, that he died for us, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day and is seated at the right hand of our Heavenly Father. And those are truths that we can see um, proven in our own lives. Uh, one of the wonderful things about life groups is that we get to come together and share how God has been at work in our lives. And I can be honest with you, there have been weeks when I haven't th- thought that God was working in my life. And it's kind of depressing, and it uh, and it hurts, and it's sad. But when I come alongside my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and they share how God is at work in their life, then I get built up, and I get encouraged. And uh, I believe, and I'm reminded that God loves me, and that he cares for me, and that he wants me to know him and to love him. And... Uh, I'm so encouraged for uh, the life group principal here at Emmanuel. Uh, a few, I think it's a little bit more than a year now, the elders got together and discussed life groups. What are we going to do about life groups in our church? Uh, and the elders made a decision at that time. They felt that life groups were an amazing opportunity for us to get together to do just what Karen and Steve have been reminding us this morning, to love one another, to care for one another to carry one another's burdens, to pray for one another. And the more opportunities we have for that, the better. So it was our decision at that time to, to say that life groups are important. We wanted to, to put a priority on that as well. And we wanted to say that life groups, Emmanuel was no longer going to be a church of life groups, or excuse me, be a church with life groups. It was going to be a church of life groups. So the life and ministry of this church is happening through life groups. And we want you to be a part of that. We want you all to join a life group. We know that all of you won't be able to, but we think that that is one of the best avenues that we can minister to one another and minister to our community through is a small group. So I hope 
that you have heard that life groups are important and that they can bless you. And we have set a higher standard this year. We kind of started life groups. We got a leader for a group to get together and fired it off. And uh, we were hoping that that wasn't kind of a ready, fire, aim process. But uh, we got a little excited, and uh, we really wanted to set the bar high on our life groups, though, because a life group isn't just a leader and some believers getting together. There are things that really should happen during a life group. And we wanted each member to be an active participant in a life group. Don't just show up, enjoy some time together, and go home. We wanted each of you to use your spiritual gifts that God has given you. And we did that by trying to get each uh, of the different functions that we do at Life Group, prayer and worship and study and uh, eating together if possible. We wanted all of those to be taken care of by people that had those type of spiritual gifts. You know, there might not be a spiritual gift for eating, but there's a, a gift of being a host or hostess for the groups. And prayer, you know, if you enjoy praying and if you love praying and you've seen God work in your prayers, then you need to be, that's a gift for you. You need to be using that in your group. Praying for others as well as leading others to pray more. So, um, enough for John right now. Let's move over to Matthew and uh, I will try to bring all this together. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, there is a wonderful commandment that, as Karen has said, has been repeated. Uh, Matthew 22, verse 37. And this is actually Jesus quoting from the Old Testament. When the Pharisees came to test him, they asked him what the greatest commandment was. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is actually an Old Testament reference to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, actually. And uh, it was repeated by the Jews, I think, every day to remind them that the Lord, their God, was one and that... They were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and to love their neighbors self. And I think it's so great that uh, Jesus took this and didn't put it to the side, didn't say it wasn't unimportant, actually elevated it. He said it's the greatest commandment. And the second was likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But he took that love part, that agape love that he speaks of. And he extended it, now with a better reference, himself. In John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, Jesus says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So God... Jesus took the commandment to love your neighbor and he focused it and he gave them a reference for that. His self, his own sacrificial life given for the world that we would love one another with sacrificial love. And this type of love, this agape love, 
simply stated is to love fellow humans is when we see or discern what their need is and we try to meet that need. Not according to those that have asked us or told us the need, but on our own discernment. So let me say that again. That was kind of fuzzy in there. So simply stated, to love other humans is to see or discern what their need is and to meet that need. Not according to what they think their need is, but that of the one who loves. So we can see this easily demonstrated in God's love for us. You know, I'm sure there was none calling out for forgiveness for their sins. I'm sure, you know, when God came to me, I was asking for a Corvette or something really good that I could go driving and have fun. But he saw my greater need. He saw a deeper need for forgiveness for my sins. And he provided a savior for that. And how I praise him for that. But the same concept is true for each of us. As we seek to love those in our group, how can we do that? Practically, see a need, meet a need. You know, a lot of times uh, we see needs and we're not quite sure what to do about those. You know, somebody asks you for food when you're walking down the street or something and you're not sure, are you going to get money? Is he going to go buy some alcohol or something with it? Something you wouldn't approve of. But uh, Christ really gave us a visual for this in Matthew 25. Wonderful, not a parable, but a picture of what's coming. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 40 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep's from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. What? No. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So that is how Christ measures our love. How much we see needs and how much we meet them. These were simple needs that he spoke of. Someone was hungry, you give them food. Someone was thirsty, you gave them something to drink. Someone was naked and you clothed me. I actually, it'd probably be some giggling there or something if someone didn't have clothes. But, but uh, simple needs... And it's hard for us sometimes, but I'm so glad that God asked us and told us that we should ask for wisdom. Can we ask for wisdom from God? Certainly. Does he give us discernment? Someone comes up and asks us for a, five bucks for lunch. 
you know, ask God for discernment. He will give it to you. A lot of us try to be wise in that and uh, go buy someone food if they need something. But uh, in your own groups, in your small groups, people will be coming to you, coming to the group with a need. And it is your God-given responsibility to try and meet that need in whatever manner you can. And I'm glad that I have others in my group that come alongside. You know, if someone comes up to you and asks for food, you don't have to give them a farm. (laughs) You know, you need to give them what they need at that time. You don't necessarily have to provide for them till they die. So, with this in mind, my brothers and my sisters, we need to be discerning, but we need to be loving. And God calls us to a higher love. A higher love that tries to meet the needs of others as we see them. So I want to encourage each of you that uh, to love is not beyond us. For we have received the greatest love there is. The love of Christ. His death for our life. For the forgiveness of our sins. You know, we could not do this in our own strength, in our own power. And he enables us with his Holy Spirit to do all that he calls us to. To love. And to love one another. You may be outside the family of God and uh, the strangeness of these Christians wanting to love one another uh, doesn't sound normal. It is definitely countercultural. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, kind of a favorite passage for me, God shows us who he is. And he actually responds to uh, Moses who asked to show him his glory. What a thing to ask God. God, show me your glory. And the God, our God was so gracious to do that. He passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. God is the forgiver of sins, but he is just. He must punish sin. The gospel is the good news that God has provided someone to take that punishment for us. Jesus Christ himself died on the cross, taking the wrath that we deserved, that we could be forgiven of our sins and set free. And we have liberty in that, and liberty to love, liberty to care, liberty to come alongside others, to do all that he calls us to. Our God is great, isn't he? I would like to make something clear on our invitation time. Uh, invitations are, are kind of a, a, a swing back, callback, comeback. What is it called? Throwback. Thank you. Throwback from the old days to invite you to come forward. Nowadays, we don't invite you to come forward. We don't have an altar up here. But we want to invite you to respond to God's message, to what you have heard. If there's truth that you have heard, tell God that you've heard it. Ask him to help you to obey it. For we're called to obey all that he calls us to. This word is, this book is not a book of recommendations for your life. This book is an amazing love letter from our God who knows us and cares for us so much that he has preserved this through the ages for us that we could not just read it, but be changed and transformed by it. 
So during our invitation time, I would invite you to uh, stand in just a moment and uh, our praise team will come up. And uh, during that time, I don't want you to start singing right away because I want you to respond to the Lord. I want you to take time and reflect back to God what you've heard and how you're going to work this out in your life. So right now, uh, Patrick, would you lead us? And uh, when you get done dealing with the Lord, please join in in singing. But if you start singing right away, I'm going to worry if any of you listen to what I said. So, But uh, Patrick, please lead us.